Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This podcast is brought to you by Green and Black's Velvet Edition, a delicious range of sumptuously smooth dark chocolate. listening to the Irish Times Women's Podcast, I'm Cathy Sheridan. Later on in today's podcast, I'll be talking to Kirin Debouche, CEO of Women for Election, about the increase in the number of female candidates in the upcoming local elections. I'll also be talking to some of those first-time women candidates. I'll be joined by Grace McManus, who is running for Sinn Féin in Wicklow, Fianna Fáil candidate for Don Leary Rathdown, Olivia Buckley, and Lorraine Hall, who is on the ballot for Fine Gael, also in Don Leary Rathdown. First, though, Roisin Ingle is here for a chat. Roisin, we have a couple of things in our minds this week. One extremely important and relevant to our own little island and also to the wider world. Yeah, talking about um, Alabama's abortion ban, which I'm sure all our listeners will be aware of. It just happened there, uh, I think, yesterday, the day before, where um, a law was passed um to restrict abortions, passing a bill to outlaw the procedure in almost all cases, including rape or incest. So this has caused, as you can imagine, consternation in America. It's part of an ongoing kind of trend, a Trump-related trend, it has to be said, where uh, they're trying to, anti-abortion people are trying to row back uh, Roe versus Wade, which is the um, judgment which allowed abortion to become legal, I think, four and a half decades ago in America. So it's very worrying and uh, not just for American women, but for women all over, for women's rights, activists are just very exercised by it. Um, It's been interesting how it's kind of been a little bit of a shot in the arm in terms of the um, campaign to get legal abortion in Northern Ireland, because there's a lot of British women, British feminists who are very exercised about what's happening in America. And um, activists in the North are pointing out that right beside you on your doorstep in your own country, in Great Britain, there are women who are um, not allowed to have abortions. Uh, it seems to be there's a sort of a discrepancy between people who have had rights and the rights are being taken away. And then there's people like people in Northern Ireland who haven't had the rights and are just fighting for them. So it's it's just a very depressing time because when you think about it, we'll be having our one year anniversary of repeal next week. We're going to have a very good programme, which is going to focus a lot on the North. It's going to focus on America. It's also going to focus on other countries in the world where abortion rights are restricted. But it's kind of um, it's kind of poignant in a way that that this is all happening when you know we're coming up to sort of remembering and celebrating the the big win that that women had in this country around abortion rights. It just shows how vigilant we have to be in a way. If you look at America and you think that was the, that was it, you know, uh, abortion was free, it was safe and legal, and um, and now because well, of Trump, actually, there are a few images coming out of coming out of Alabama, for instance, where. I think every single one of the 25 people who voted were white men and Republicans. And it was signed into law by the state's Republican female governor, Kay Ivey. And one of the things that I must say did chill me to the bone is the only exception is a threat of serious danger to the health of the woman. Now, we could give lectures about this lasting three hours. We could tell them what a minefield that is. And that's what I find so absolutely nauseating about this. And it's also nauseating in my view that when she signed that in, the governor, the female governor, as you say, she mentioned um, how life is a gift from God and how bound up with extreme evangelical religious views this all is. And it goes right back to the people who uh, voted for Trump, who elected him, who managed to ignore all his disgusting ways in terms of his treatment of women, in terms of his, you know, dalliances with porn stars, whatever it was, all of that has managed to ignore because he is their great white hope in rowing back these uh, human rights for women in America. And it's just appalling. And of course, it's what a lot of us predicted with the Brett Kavanaugh 
yeah. controversy, well, quite I, apart from his own. It is, but it's also, you know what I was thinking about when I was listening to this this week? It's, it's also why, you know, my some people in, I knew were kind of laughing at me when when Trump was elected and how emotional I got about it, how, how I was actually crying. And, you know, my daughters were so upset going to school because I was so upset. But this is kind of why. You kind of hoped it wouldn't come to this pass. But that's what you kind of suspected, you know, that him being in that position in the White House was going to lead to all sorts of unspeakable things. And it is happening now. Um, The only sort of good thing, I suppose, is Planned Parenthood and all those activists, ACLU in America, they're so strong. They're going to fight. They're saying, um, you know, this this is going to be challenged. It's not necessarily going to come to pass so I'm hoping that that might be the case as well. You, you see, know? the whole point, I think, of the of the the ext- extremeness of of the of these uh, bills is that they are designed to force uh, pro-choice advocates to bring it to challenge it in the court, um, and that's their way. That's what they're waiting for. They want it to be challenged in the Supreme Court, yeah. and I suppose that's the, there, there's a there's a certain cunning uh, at play here. That is genuinely worrying. Well, evil people are often very cunning, but I just quote from Liana Wen, the president of Planned Parenthood, and she said, Planned Parenthood will do whatever it takes to stop these dangerous bans so that our patients can continue to access the care that they need. We're in the fight of our lives for our patients' lives and we're ready to fight with everything we have. And she said that if Alabama sounds like a dangerous and dystopian future for women, that's because it is. What was considered too extreme for state politicians just a few years ago is now becoming law in some states and the stakes could not be be higher. So, yeah, and back to what you said, exactly. They're hoping that it gets challenged. They're hoping they can roll back um, the, the whole thing. It's a very strategic uh, thing going on here. There is. There um, is. But hopefully it won't happen. So the price of freedom is eternal vigilance, Roisin. Vigilance, definitely. What was our second uh, subject of the week? Well, before that, I just want to say that if people listening have had abortions and they are able, because I know not everyone is, I think Busy Phillips hashtag is really important at this time. Uh, hashtag you know me. And it just allows people to say, Everyone knows somebody. Somebody you love has had an abortion. This is not some weird, strange thing. It's it's a part of lots of women's lives and we need abortion and we need access to safe abortion. And I just wanted to reiterate that. But yes, on to a very <laughs> more Much trivial more thing. cheerful, trivial Cheerful. Things. Well, it's yeah. just that the gorilla that was born in Dublin Zoo... Um, we didn't know what sex it was. We didn't know what gender because we're the women's podcast. And we found out that it's a girl. Hooray. We thought we better. We must have her on the podcast someday. <laughs> She's only six weeks now, but who knows? I love and, it. And actually, I mean that. I mean, it's one of the, those those <laughs> creatures in zoos. Actually, I quite honestly, I can't go to zoos because if you look into their eyes, you can see how little they vary <clears throat> from humans. You know, the human gene sequences differs only 1.6% on average from the corresponding gorilla genes. No, I didn't. There is only a tiny sliver of a difference between us in terms of genes. So let us always remember that. They are our closest living relatives okay. well, after on that, chimpanzees and bonobos. And, and then because of that, we all are very interested in what the gorilla is going to be named. And there's actually a competition running. It better um, be a dignified one. That's all I'd say. <laughs> so I'll just give people the website. It's www.sseairtricity.com forward slash Dublin Zoo. And you're being asked to suggest a name that reflects her West African origin. And the closing date is Sunday, May 26th. And the new name will be announced in early June, which when I'm sure we will be discussing it and revealing the name on the women's podcast. And just to say that, on that's really interesting what you were saying, but the Western Lowland Gorillas which they are, are classified as critically endangered by the International Union for Conservation of Nature and National Resources. They're on the red list of threatened species. Um, so, you know, as much as it's difficult for some people to go and, and zoos, and I understand that argument, the fact that they're being born there and they're being uh, looked after is something, I think, to absolutely. be Absolutely. Uh, there is absolutely for. a role for conservation here. I would just say that I find it very hard. Um, have you a name for this little West baby? African baby, no. I'd have to think about it because I think it's important. And like you say, you don't want any silly, silly names. Have you Nothing anything? Nothing silly. No, I don't. I'll okay. have to go in and think about it very carefully. <laughs> we'll enter the competition. But it better not be something like Gorilla McGorilla Face. <laughs> now, 566 women are running in next week's local elections. That's out of a total of 1,960 candidates, making it 29% of the total 
which is quite respectable, really, as increases go. That's an increase of 100 on the 2014 local elections, or just shy of 21%. So progress is being made, but is it happening quickly enough? Kirin de Bush is the CEO of Women for Election, which has worked with many of those running for the first time this year through their training programmes. Kirin, the number of women running is up by over 100 in 2014 elections. Now, that sounds very significant, but actually, we're still only at 28%. Now, I just frame that in a kind of a negative way. What would you say? I would say it's actually a really important improvement. Uh, There's 566 women putting their name on the ballot paper, which uh, is just tipping into the 29%. And while we would like it to be a lot more, and and we look forward to the day when it's unremarkable that there's half of the candidates are women, it's still a big increase. Last time around, it was just about 22% of the candidates were women and 21% of the councillors are women. So we would hope that now that it's 29% of the candidates are women, that we'll also see a big increase in the number of women in council chambers up and down the country. Mm. And actually, to sound a bit more positive, it was 17% 10 years ago, according to Dr. Adrian Kavanagh. Yeah. So it really is yeah, it, a very is, significant move it's, it's forward. It's climbing and, and, you know, there's still a way to go on it. Corinne, mm. uh, what parties are doing best in this regard? The, well, I suppose the smaller parties are doing best. So the People Before Profit, Social Democrats, uh, the Green Party, the Labour Party, they're all doing well. Uh, The two larger parties didn't meet 30%, which I think is not a great indictment of the two larger parties. Uh, And then some of the others, you know, are in around. But all of the parties uh, should be doing well. It should not be remarkable that there are some parties where the majority are women, majority of candidates are women. That that should become the norm. It should indeed. Um, I did notice that Fianna Fáil is the lowest it is about indeed. eight points lower than Fine Gael, in fact. Yeah. Is there, yeah. Can, can you see any reason for that? Well, I'm, I'm sure they would say that part of the reason is that they have so many incumbents. Um, so there are men who oh. are councillors who are running again. Who are not millennials, let's say. <laughs> um, but they've known this, this election is not a slap, snap election. We've known this election is on the calendar for a long while. Uh, and I would say this about all parties, that they've known this is coming up. They should have been planning for this. They should have been working to ensure that there are the candidates. Um, and if if they weren't readily identifiable, they should have gone out and found candidates a good while back and ensured that there were women out around canvassing and working there because there are women there. There are active women in every community. Um, I, I would defy anyone to find any community where there aren't women on the Tidy Towns Committee or the Residents Association or the board of the local school. And those women are political. Uh, So why should they not also be candidates? There is no gender quota in in, in the local elections, Kirian. Has that made a difference? I'm thinking now back to the huge controversy about the gender quotas for the general elections. And that really has worked, hasn't it? Gender quotas work. Particularly gender quotas where they, they hit parties in the, the pocket, um, which is how they're structured for the, the general elections. Uh, there are no gender quotas for the local elections and, and no doubt that has had an impact um, because if, if they were set to lose money for not reaching a 30% or 40% target, parties would have met those targets. Um, so we would support gender quotas and we would like to see gender quotas in place for the next local elections. I do understand that it is difficult, that the legal framework isn't readily there to to do something. But we have five years now before the next local elections and we should be planning and working towards that and have them in place in ample time so that all of the parties know that they have to be uh, working towards that. All of that said, there is now the incentive for parties to run more women and it is welcome. It is progress. It's a step 250 forward. Two hundred and fifty euro per head. Yeah, it's unfortunate that it like seems to be. Like a bunch of heifers. I was about to say it's unfortunate that it seems to be a, a type of headage grant. Um, yes. I think maybe there could have been better advice around how to structure it. Uh, at the same time, it is an incentive to parties to run at least thirty percent women. Um, 
Have you found that, that as well? Has, has, has that come across? I'm not sure that it has. I think the the last initially when it was floated, it seemed to be that it was a hundred euro uh, there per woman, um, which was more of a headage grant. Um, now there is that incentive to make sure that you, that parties reach the the thirty percent. But the group that is actually doing worst in terms of percentage is independence. Um, you know there there are umpteen times more men running as independent candidates than women. And and I think that is something that we also need to look at. Uh, There should be support there for all candidates and how to structure that is the challenge that's facing the department and the minister. That's an interesting point, Kirian. What is is it with women and independence? I I don't know. Uh, We have worked with uh, women, independent candidates who will be great councillors uh, and I, the short answer is I don't know. Um, we've all heard of, or I suppose those of us interested in the area and those of us who are political nerds have all heard of the five C's that are there for blocks. Repeat and them again just for people who haven't heard it. In the unlikely These event. are <laughs> cash, culture, confidence, childcare and selection conventions, so party conventions. Most of those apply in terms of there are still issues around cash. It's still expensive to run a campaign. Probably not as expensive as most of us think. Um, There's still childcare challenges. There's still the political culture, the wider political culture, which can be very off-putting. Selection conventions don't apply um, for independent candidates, uh, but the issue on confidence does. And that's one of the real, real, real barriers that's there. Women for election um, have found... When we're provi- we provide training and support for women with the hope to inspire and equip them to succeed in politics. And we have found that confidence is the biggest barrier. Once you get over the confidence barrier, all of the others, you, you can manage those. You, you can run your race night or your table quiz to raise money. You can, you can do all of the other things. It's confidence is the real issue there. Um, and that's why we provide the training and support that we do to... I suppose, work with women to demystify politics, to break down those those barriers there so that they know, actually, I can do this. Um, and it is, I wouldn't say it's easy, it's far from easy, but it is achievable. Uh, and women can get on the ticket and run. Uh, and I suppose in, in the context now of the local elections coming up, there are a lot more women running and, and we need more again. Uh, so... Women for Election are delighted to see so many of the women that we're working with uh, running in these elections. And come the 25th of May, we will be working with more women to ensure that the next time round, be it general or, or whenever it may be, that we will have more candidates there. Um, I've been watching and listening and actually talking to the odd candidate who calls to my house in the last while, Kieran, and it's... Obviously, if they're at your door canvassing, they've, they've overcome the confidence hurdle. Mm-hmm. But then they talk that they talk about the still the meetings are still held at odd hours. A lot of them talk about uh, working full time for part time pay, yeah. which has become which is quite a recent phenomenon. It's quite possible to be a county councillor years ago and only have a few hours taken out of your day yeah. or your week or whatever. Women are saying it's not compatible with with um, with having a family. They say there's no progression at local level. That's in terms of the ambitious ones, um, and um, they're working upwards of thirty to forty hours a week at this. Have you heard all this? We have, and I suppose at at one level you'd be saying, why would anyone go into politics, women yes. or men? Um, but until there are more women in politics. That's not going to change. And and that's why we need more women there. Um, there politics is not an easy life. Political life is, is not easy. It's not straightforward. Um, your family life blends into your political life uh, because everything is a canvassing opportunity, but also everything is a clinic opportunity for your constituents to meet you and talk to you about their own issues and their own queries. But it is also an enormous privilege to be elected um, as a politician, to represent your local community, to have an impact on your local community, to be involved in 
planning decisions around your local community to ensure that local facilities are there, that your library stays where it is, that there's a playground within pram pushing distance uh, for those living in your area. That is an enormous privilege. Um, And I suppose that is what balances with political life. There are changes needed. We need to change things like the timing of meetings. Uh, I, I know one politician has spoken about when she was in the council, the meetings were on immediately after school collection time. And she would have said, well, we need to change the time of the meeting. And the meeting time wasn't changed. So she went to the meeting with her children, having collected them from school, after which the times of the meetings were changed. So that's the type of practical change that needs to happen. Um, There's also been changes made so that councillors can now bring their babies into the council chamber because one of the real challenges in political life is there is no maternity leave. Um, There's no paternity leave either, but it does mean now that women can bring their young babies into the council chambers and men um, and can continue their role as councillor. There are challenges there. It's not an easy life, but it is an important role and it is one that needs to reflect us as a society. We we can't keep going with the current situation where we women are just over half the population and we're just over one-fifth of our elected politicians. That needs to change. More women means better decisions and that's, that's why we need more ru- women running because once women run, they will be elected. Now, Karina, I don't want to be striking a, a consistently negative note here, but one of the things that I do think must be very hard to deal with if you haven't been a public figure before is social media abuse mm-hmm. and that general abuse that politicians yeah. are subjected to. You're all the bloody same, all that sort of thing, and much, much worse. And I heard of some very respectable survey, I'm sure you have, where three quarters of female politicians under 40 have been subjected to sexual or sexist remarks. Comments about weight, hair, colour, looks... Um, which you don't get with men. And I'd actually question that survey that it's only three quarters. Um, I'd I'd be surprised if it wasn't all women. Um, And I'd I'd say that across all walks of life. I think we've all had sexist remarks. We've all had some type of abusive comment made towards us. And that is not acceptable and that needs to change. But there does seem to be an extra level Uh, If you're in political life, there's more abuse directed at you. And the advice that we would give to candidates when we're working with them and and we have run training around social media, a large part of which is how to manage the the negative um, stuff that you get. And that is things like, you know, it's, it's the basic things that we should all be doing of taking time off social media, remembering that social media is not real life. Uh, it's also things like reporting, blocking, all of those pieces there. Um, and protecting your family as well. That, that's one of the, the pieces of advice we would give to candidates. And again, this applies to candidates, women and men. Just keep, think about protecting your children and, and keeping your, your family life private as well, because you're the one running for political life. Uh, it's not necessarily your family that are running. Yeah. That's always been, that's been a perennial in Irish politics, hasn't it? Maybe not so much in the cities, but certainly uh, in rural Ireland, it's been a problem. People coming to the door because they know where you live and they regard you as a member of the community. And sure, I wouldn't I drop in and see Kirin, you know, sure, I know where she lives. And and that's great. And, and it, you know, it's, it's, it's part of Irish life. I think one of the, one of the real strengths of our political system is our politicians are accessible. If, if you don't know your politician, you know somebody who does. And you probably do actually know them. Um, and, and I think that is a real strength of Irish political life. And it also brings challenges with it. And it's, it's managing that. Um, one of the real challenges, and you mentioned it there, is that a county councillor is part-time pay for a very full-time job. Um, and I, I'm not sure if there's the political will there to change that because... I'm not sure if it is the most popular um, decision to make to say that we're going to be increasing councillors' pay, but something needs to change uh, and something needs to give on that because councillors now do a very full-time job between the the council chamber, the committee meetings, clinics, meeting with your local constituents. 
uh, it is a very full time job and, and most people do it in addition to their other paid work as well as whatever they're doing at home. So I do think we need to be looking at that because, as, as I was saying, to be, to be an elected politician is a huge privilege. It also comes with huge responsibilities. And I do think we need to start recognising that and valuing the work of politicians because I think politicians and political life has been devalued, demeaned uh, a lot in the the current um, discourse and the current discussions that are going yeah, around. very often by themselves, let's yeah, consider. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Mm. Um, and I think we need to be changing that. We do. We certainly do. Now, Karen, just going back to, to the, the issue of confidence and where these young women have come from that you have been helping over the last while. Um, has did, did the referendums make a big difference in the number of people coming forward? We always assumed that was going to ensure that a load of confident young women would come out of that absolutely dying to proceed. Women for Election holds our, our, our flagship training is our Inspire training. It's a one day training course focused on campaigns, communications and confidence. And we would have held our first Inspire Day of 2018 in early June. It was fully booked out with a waiting list. This had never happened to women for election before. This was just after the... um, Just shortly after the referendum. referendum, Yeah. And while we didn't ask the women when they were signing up for the training, it became very clear over the course of the day that there wasn't any woman in that room who hadn't been involved in the referendum campaign. On both sides of the campaign, um, it certainly did light a fire in a lot of women, many of whom would have come to us and, and worked with us, some of whom are now candidates. Not all. I, I think one of the the aspects to women for election training that we don't always talk too loudly about is it also highlights that there it's not a life for everyone and some women and men. Um, choose not to go down the road of elected politics. Why do you frighten them? Um, maybe we burst a few bubbles, all right. <laughs> but I would always think it's better to have those bubbles burst well before you're out canvassing for yourself. What do they find the most frightening thing? Uh, the the always-on nature of it uh, and the, the challenge of, of keeping some time for yourself. Uh, part of our training is we would have politicians come in to talk about their political career to date uh, and there's always this this bit of a shock afterwards of it takes that much time um, and it's not for everyone but we have seen a lot of women coming through us who are now you know whose faces are now on posters uh, who will soon be in council chambers. Kirin, regard to diversity um, has that risen since the referendums or is it rising? Certainly the women training with us, we see much greater diversity than we see in in the council chambers at the moment. Mm. Uh, At the moment, for example, there are two women serving on councils who would be migrants who would have come to Ireland. Uh, There's a lot more than that have trained with us. Um, there's, There's women who are currently in or have come through the direct provision system, as we are supposed to call it, uh, who have trained with us. And I would hope that we would see those women in council chambers and many others because we need more women and we need more women in all our diversity. Um, We need more women right across the political spectrum, across the age ranges, uh, with that variety of backgrounds there. Because until we have that, Democracy and local democracy is an unfinished project uh, because because we we need that for our democratic system to work for us as a wider society. Have any of the women from the travelling community come by your place? They have. Um, there's, there have been some traveller women have trained with us uh, who aren't candidates this time around, but I would hope will be candidates in the future. Um, and, and we are working specifically with uh, traveller women as well in terms of some of the training we're doing. Yeah. In terms of helping people, Kirin, though it's a, a, lot of, a lot of women are going to get a shock now. Uh, they're going to find that it's a, it really is a bit of a dog-eat-dog out world out there, that you're, they probably know already from your training that your, your enemy, your greatest enemy is probably your constituency 
colleague mm-hmm. uh, from, the, from the same party. Have, do you have, will you be having a debrief for these people afterwards? We will. We'll be running training um, for councillors who have been elected uh, shortly after the local elections. And we're also going to be uh, ensuring that we link in with women who weren't successful in that election. Because I think one of the things is we need to celebrate the hopefully increased number of women councillors. We also need to celebrate that there are increased number of candidates not all of whom will be successful. And one of the things Women for Election has been doing is we've had this online um, campaign recently where we talked with councillors from different parts of the country, different parties and independent. uh, And one of the things that came from that is they spoke of their own campaigns. And one of the women who took part in that would have spoken about actually when she was unsuccessful in an election campaign, she learned far more from that. Um, and we need to ensure that women, successful and otherwise in this campaign, can know that women for election are there to support them, but also that they will continue in political life, that they will run again or that they will support another woman to run. Most candidates don't necessarily get elected first time out, um, but it is not the end. The, the next campaign, and I, and I know this is a cliche, but it's a cliche for a reason, your campaign starts the morning after the election, um, whether you've been elected or not. Uh, and we will be working with women to ensure that their next campaign starts immediately after these coming elections. And that they don't take it personally. I think that's terribly important. Absolutely. Um, you know, politics is a harsh business, um, but it's not personal. Um, it feels very personal. And when you're canvassing, it's very different to canvas for yourself as opposed to somebody else. Um, But at the end of the day, while it might feel very personal, it's it's just numbers. Either enough people voted for you or enough people didn't. Kirian, thanks a million for coming in. And thank you for all the work you do. You have been extremely successful at what you've done. And responsible for more than we all know, I suspect. Thanks a million. Thank you. The Irish Times Women's Podcast is brought to you by Green and Black's Velvet Edition. Sumptuously smooth, dark chocolate. Last week, Roisin spoke to three women who've decided to give mainstream politics a go in the local elections. And I'm delighted to speak to three more today to find out why they've decided to run. Grace McManus of Sinn Féin, Fianna Fáil candidate Olivia Buckley and Lorraine Hall, who is on the ballot for Fine Gael. You're all very welcome to the Women's Podcast. Grace, who would be a politician? You've asked this question yourself and you've kind of answered it, but I'd like to answer it now. What are you doing? What are you um, thinking of? Uh, listen, who knows? Um, I I think, okay, who would be a politician? Uh, historically, um, maybe people who were pursuing power, maybe people who wanted to look after their own interests, maybe people who wanted to make change. There's a variety of people, I think, who want to be politicians. Um, at the moment, it feels like there is more and more people who want to be politicians, um, not out of desire to be a politician, but out of a desire to contribute. Um, and I guess maybe that's where I'm coming from. Um, I think I might have something to give on that level uh, for people. And, and that is why I am pursuing this mad journey. And what is it you want to change? So my fundamental belief, to go straight into the deep end, is that I don't believe that humans need to suffer that the way they are at the moment. Um, growing up, I was always taught that if you have something that you can share or give to people who are struggling or who are vulnerable, to give it. Um, and I think <laughs> there should be values and principles behind decisions that are made on a political level. I value compassion. I value empathy. Um, and I'm driven by prin- principles of social justice and um, equality, really. And I want to try and show that decisions on a political level can be made with those values and principles in mind. And I want to contribute um, positively to be a part of that. Now, you're in Sinn Féin. I am. That sounds like a not very well coded criticism of, say, Olivia's party, which is Fianna Fáil. <laughs> Olivia, what would you say to Grace who's suggesting there's no empathy elsewhere? Oh, I think there's a lot of empathy. I think 
I started canvassing three months ago. I'm a new candidate running for the first time in the Dundrum electoral area. And every single night, housing, housing, homelessness from all uh, different strands, all different backgrounds. And I think there is a growing appreciation amongst people of our generation, I think amongst women in particular, who understand what, whether it's a family, a young person, a young mother, a single mother, grandparents, uh, the challenges they're facing and the difficulties. And I think there's a genuine compassion, empathy and understanding of new generation and new first-time candidates like all of us here today. Um, and I think that's shared across all of the parties, for sure. Um, why are you in it, Olivia? What, what, what tipped you over? Was it just that the seat became available? I think it's about changing where you live, uh, having, as Grace said, making a contribution. I have a view that the world starts on your own doorstep. You know, we've increased interest in global affairs and the big issues of the world, the planet, the environment. But the world starts on your doorstep. And the big issues in Dublin at the moment is more and more people leaning towards urban living. 60% of the growth of Ireland in the next decade is going to come in the greater Dublin area. And that has environmental sustainability issues, urban design, housing, homelessness, uh, the green parks, the green spaces for our children, our older people, all of the big ticket items for me are becoming most relevant in local authorities at the moment. That's a big challenge, but I think it's also uh, exhilarating and exciting in terms of new candidates like us making a contribution and bringing something new and fresh to politics. And I think people are looking for that. There was a really interesting uh, survey out earlier in the week. Um, I was listening to the interview on Morning Ireland, the Social Innovators Programme, all the young people saying that they felt they were listened to more by big brands and organisations than they were by their own politicians in this country. And that's an indictment of politics and I think it's up to us to bring some new and fresh thinking and energy and change politics. Now, Olivia, you have been around a while and you have occupied very uh, eminent positions, such as uh, in Bertie Ahern's office, um, as an advisor. Uh, so you've been in a position to push this for I don't know how long. I mean, when did you, when did you, go, into, when did, when did you go into the politics business? Well, I suppose I spent most of my 23 working years in non-political jobs. I worked in Kerry Group, I worked in the IFA, I ran EU campaigns for the Lisbon 2 campaign and for the last 10 years I worked in the Irish Tax Institute and I did work, yes, indeed in Leinster House, um, as Grace does, for the last for five years. I suppose I was interested, I've always been interested in the world around me, I've always been interested in campaigning, in whether it was in something like farming issues and uh, rural issues and also in terms of taxation, who pays tax, whether it's fair, uh, global taxation, what companies pay, what citizens pay. So I suppose campaigning and policy and making change and influencing people has always been part of my own personal DNA apart from any background. But I think, I suppose I feel I've had a lot of experience in the world and in life uh, and yet I still feel I'm young enough to make a contribution and maybe sometimes the time is right and it's a bit of a do it now or don't do it at all moment and I perhaps had one of those. And I think, you know, I have five nieces um, and the world is about them and what sort of a country they're going to live in and what sort of world they're going to face. And I think I have energy and maybe our, the responsibility of our generation to play our part in shaping the future. Um, Lorraine, you're currently with IBEC. Um, you're Fine Gael currently with IBEC. What, what, what tipped you over this time? Why now? Um, well, I suppose the opportunity c came up, presented itself about a year ago. I um, attended uh, a, a local Fine Gael meeting in Dunleary and um, it was essentially uh, a meeting to mark Votal 100 and to celebrate women's contribution to politics. Now, as it happens, uh, Monica Barnes, uh, a proud Fine Gael feminist, was due to present at that meeting, but sadly she died um, that particular week. Um, uh, so uh, some of our other leading Fine Gael um, uh, former politicians from the 80s uh, stood in and spoke about their experiences in politics. And um, essentially, um, I suppose... You know, the purpose of the night itself was to try and get people involved in politics and the party were putting out a call to people to get involved. And um, I, I, I suppose, um, you know, um, someone came to me that night and said, look, will you get involved locally? And um, I was told to go off and have a few conversations, which I did. And having considered it, I, I, I gladly accepted the opportunity to contribute to run locally. Now, Lorraine, you knew what you were getting into as do uh, Olivia and Grace. You also were a special advisor to Heather Humphreys 
um, as Minister for Arts, Heritage and the Great. I thought you were a press advisor to the Minister for Justice and Defence, Alan Shatter, which must have been very exciting. And a policy and research officer for former Taoiseach and Kenny. So you know exactly what you're getting into. What were you thinking? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, definitely when you've worked in Leinster House for a number of years and I worked for the last government, you really have a good sense of the issues facing the, you know, the, the country and the economy. And you're across all of the various topics that are of concern to people. So you have this sort of natural interest in, in, in all of the current affairs topics. And um, I suppose, you know, I moved to Dunleary um, just over three years ago. And obviously, I have this really strong interest in politics and current affairs issues. And I want to contribute locally. So putting myself forward for the local election really is my way of using my skills and my experience to contribute to my local my local area in Dunleary. Do you plan to go on working with IBEC? Um, I do, if yeah. Elected. They've been yeah. really supportive um, of me running and they've given me flexibility around about the campaign. And yes, yeah, certainly I do. I, like I've bills to pay, you know. Mm. <laughs> I have to work, so I certainly will. And in fact, most councillors do actually, do actually work. Full time. Yeah. Uh, now, the problem, Lorraine, with, with I think, with running for a local election is it's very hard to sound different. Mm. Everybody wants to create a new thriving town centre. They want to fix the potholes, if I may use that old cliche. They want a better environment. Um, uh, it's very, very hard to tailor a message that is just about what Lorraine wants to do. So what, what do you say when people say what, what's different about you? Well, I suppose when they ask me what's different about me, I do tend to point to my experience, like having worked for Enda Kenny for many years and having worked for Alan Shatter and Heather Humphreys. So I have a lot of experience dealing with issues. And do they regard that as a positive? They do, yeah, definitely. They see it as really good experience and they know that I'm familiar with issues and they... And I always remind them that I'm well used to helping people with issues and concerns. So they they really like that experience. But they also like the fact that I suppose I'm younger than some of the existing councillors. The fact that I'm a woman, a female candidate, that really people really want to see more women in politics. Um, but in terms of my um, priorities for the area, um, definitely my priorities have been informed by the things that people have brought up on the door. And sometimes that is, you know, having a better town centre and having cleaner streets and, and, and focus, you know, focusing on the climate agenda, which, to be honest, is one of the big topics that has come up on the doorsteps with me in, in, in the last number of months. So, yeah, I think... Um, well, if it wasn't coming up in Dunleer or down, it wouldn't be coming up anywhere, would it? It certainly is. Like, honest to goodness, it's the number one issue that's come up coming up is climate change all of the time. Are you finding that, Grace? Yes, that health and housing. Um, I, my senator, Senator Moira Devine, who I work for as an advisor, sat on the Climate Action Committee as it went through its uh, hearings and proceedings over the last while. And I only got to dip in and out of it. Um, but it was a fascinating experience and a scary one to listen to <laughs> what's happening. Um, and yeah, there's question marks about what we would be, have the power to do locally. Um, But I do think there is some things that we can do to, say, for example, promote biodiversity, to look at new planning regulations and making sure that um, they are more environmentally friendly. Everything from like making sure that cycle lanes are uh, properly joined up and usable. And, you know, but yeah, it's 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 certainly something that I have heard more than a handful of times. Now, Grace, you have oh, you've worked for Senator Moore Devine and also for Parik McLaughlin. So you have your hands full, I suspect. Um, is, is is your current experience what you were expecting? Did you, ex- are you I presume you've gone canvassing before for Sinn Féin and that sort of thing? Yes, yes, I so, have. So and I was also canvassed heavily during um, the repeal campaign. Um, but do you mean, was it what I was expecting for myself? Yes. Does it feel personal this time? Yes, you are You are certainly standing in the arena um, ready for, and that's why I would have respect for anybody who puts themselves um, out there. Um, it is very scary to knock and say, I need you to believe in me and here's why. Um, I am very, very fortunate and I'm very appreciative of the team I have around me um, who I guess are almost like an armour or uh, a support there to do that. Um, In terms of what it was, yes, I expected and I knew that it takes really, really hard work to change 
things um, and to have a conversation with people and meet people where they are at. People vehemently disagree with me and I'm welcome that I want to have a conversation around it. People agree with me. I want to um, have a conversation around that. People want to tell me their stories and I feel an obligation to not only listen to their stories but then to carry them with me and to see if I can contribute in some way um, as they journey through their own uh, situations. Um, so I guess yes and no, it's it's a lot tougher putting yourself out there. But yes, I was expecting it to be hard work. Yeah. Do you find, for example, that it's, do people slam doors on you? Is there any it of that? It has happened, yep. Um, but I am also getting um, such amazing, I forgot how many people I knew in Bray. So I'm I'm 27 years old and um, born and raised in Bray and been involved in youth projects and uh, youth mental health in particular um, uh, organisation that I set up and I deliver workshops with young people on wellbeing uh, with my colleagues. And uh, so I, so it's lovely when a door opens and I'm like, I know you. Um, and that happens an awful lot. Um, and the positive vibes from that and the support and the I believe in you. I remember you five years ago and that was before I was political and I remember what you were like and I trust the, the person you are. Um, you never forget that. That is, that is amazing experience to have and a privilege. Hmm. Olivia, you know how some elections are gruesome for certain parties and sometimes all is calm, especially in fine weather and pe- people are a bit more cordial in their greetings and that sort of thing. And they might even answer the door. What, what, what character would you put on this one? How is it looking? I think people have been very engaging. I think they like when somebody calls to their door, by and large. Uh, it gives them a chance to air what's on their mind, what their experiences have been and the issues of concern to them. And we're certainly, in my experience, seeing seeing a lot of looking to the future, to children, uh, the environment coming up, certainly a lot, how we're treating our planet, environmental sustainability, um, people wondering about, as I said, housing and homes for the future. And I've met a lot of parents with really big issues around their children's disability and lack of resources and equipment and resources and they're very difficult stories and I think what Grace says is correct people give you they open their door they open their gate and they share their story with you and you definitely have a sense of responsibility and duty and respect above all else that they have shared their story and what can you contribute in terms of your responsibilities and what you can help change that would make their circumstances better people are engaging I think Irish people are very level, balanced, generous and genuine at the end of the day. And I think if you meet them at their level and you're fair, they're fair in return. And I think that's one of the things I've learned. People have been very, very generous with their time and their views and their personal stories. Lorraine, do they they show an interest in you personally? Do they they question you about your your own background? Uh, They would do, yeah. Um, Like, by and large, I've been knocking on doors for absolutely months now, seven or eight months um, every week. And um, like in the winter months, people are just quick, you know, quick to close their door, their doors because of the cold. But more recently, they're, you know, they want to engage in in, in conversation and they want to, you know, have a chat. Um, but um, yeah, they are interested in me. But it's also an opportunity for people like me who are running for Finnegale to actually listen to what it is they have to say. And like from, I suppose, a Finnegill, like all of the councillors tell me like, oh, if you had been here in 2000, 2014, you'd have known all about it. It was, a, it was a difficult local election because the water charge issue was raging. Um, but um, this time round, definitely, um, it seems like from what I've heard from my colleagues to be much more positive. And I think that just reflects the fact that, um, you know, people... Uh, are broadly speaking positive towards Leo, who's a young and dynamic leader and think that, you know, like it's not that long ago that the economy is in ribbons and it's kind of, you know, obviously in a much better place now, full employment. And uh, I think people are happy with Brexit. I presume they immediately divert you to the homelessness and the health service. And how do you deal Um, with that? Well, um, I mean, some people do. Um, some people do talk about um, homelessness in the health service and some people tend to focus on, 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 on more local issues. Um, but when, when the homelessness uh, crisis comes up, like I do try to explain to them that, you know, the Rebuilding Ireland plan is a five-year plan. It is, uh, you know, 
a difficult like it's a, it's a it's an area that we're not making as much progress on that we would like but that we are actually making progress 18,000 new homes last year that's 18,000 families housed uh, there are 18,000 homes that weren't there the year previous and um, so I try to reassure people that you know this will take some time. It's a five-year plan and we um, are delivering uh, significantly more houses than at th- this year than has been delivered in the last and decade. And do they listen politely when you say all um, Not always. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, uh, some people um, don't want to listen. Um, but, you know, I'm there to hear their views and, and to listen to what people are saying. And that feedback is really valuable to the party. And I do bring back, you know, that message. And certainly as candidates, we get a really good sense of what's happening on the ground for sure. Yeah. Grace, tell me this. How, will, 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 I'm sorry to say it's because you're women I'm going to have to raise the issue of how you, how people make their political lives compatible with their home lives and family lives and that sort of thing. Uh, in, t- in terms of how women manage, especially in the local elections where you have to manage another job quite usually, will you stay working as you are as and, and stay on the council and, and if you get a seat on the council, how will you manage it? Well, yeah, I would love to. Um, I think there's something invaluable about um, having that national local link um, and being able... So, for example, one of our core briefs I look after is mental health in um, the Shannon, um, and I look at the national data and what's going on and I analyse it um, and that's something I really care about for my constituency. So um, having that link, I think, is um, valuable. And yes, maybe it won't be doable. Um, for me, my question to myself is, can I honour both jobs if I keep them both? And if I can, if I have to work extra hard, but I can do them both and both well, then I will do that. And if it um, comes a point where I cannot do um, my current job well enough for my senators, then then so be it. And I will be, they're my team, they're my teammates and we will have an open and honest conversation about it. Right. Um, Olivia, you, I believe, have resigned your job to yes. do this. I worked in a very, I suppose taxation is a very political uh, issue and area and a very sensitive area. I worked for a very apolitical organisation. So when I... Um, mentioned the fact that I would receive a nomination. I was given a choice. So I decided, yes, I had to resign my job. So I served out my notice and I left my job um, in the last two months. So I have dedicated myself to this and that's, I suppose, a decision I've had to take on board and uh, bear all the responsibility for that. But I've done so, you know, um, in the full knowledge of all it entails. It is it is difficult, there's no doubt about it. Um, you have bills to pay, you worry about all of that. But I think there comes a juncture in your life and you decide, am I going to get involved? Do I want to influence change? Do I want to be part of, you know, making a difference? And for me, it was pretty much a pretty much black and white decision then at the end of the day. And I presume, Olivia, your, your next step is to go for the Dáil. Well, I have to consider what the voters of uh, the Dundrum electoral area think of me first on the 24th of May. Uh, they've been very engaging. Um, as I said, I think a lot of the local issues are actually national issues now, particularly in urban, big urban growth area like Dublin. Um, and I'll dedicate myself to that first, for sure. I think I hear a yes there. Though. <laughs> um, Lorraine, what about you? Is this a staging post to the Dáil and greater things? Um, well, I mean... When I first decided to run, um, I had, I suppose, absolutely no um, thoughts towards going beyond the council because uh, really, you know, that's where I see uh, my contribution. But, I mean, every single week people are saying, will you be in the doll next? Will you be running in the doll next? So I suppose, you know, you do tend to consider it more. But no, at the moment, uh, my focus is on the local election and I can't really think beyond that uh, now. But it is something people keep saying. I think you hear a yes there as well. Mm. Grace, what about you? World domination. Oh! <laughs> no, like... Properly. That's no. proper ambition. <laughs> For me, and honestly, I am driven by one thing and, and to maybe circle back a little bit in, in terms of why I was saying about the values and principles behind the decision-making. Um, I think we need a shift in, in ideology in, in, in Ireland um, and locally in decision-making. And while everybody might be trying their best to make things better, for me... Um, we're, we're seeing so much suffering right now. So if the best place that I can contribute to the team that's going to do something about that is in local level, that's where I will be. Um, for me, I want to always honour authentically what I can give um, and try to make a difference. And so I don't mind if that's in the background. I don't mind if that's 
putting myself out there and going on the doors um, and sitting on Wicklow County Council, which would be a privilege, or um, doing other things. But I'm driven by, by wanting to change. OK, well, let us finish, because this is the women's podcast, by talking about, um, I suppose, the unique problems for women uh, in, in running for politics. And one of them is online abuse, Olivia. Have you been subjected to any of that? Not too much, thankfully, um, from a couple of people, but they're uh, from from not political parties, actually, from some independent people running in my area. But generally not. Is it personal or is it is it about your politics? It's quite about my politics, yeah. But, you know, that I think you recognise that when you decide to run for public office, there's a certain amount of that that you have to bear and I think you have to be prepared for it. It's not pleasant, but by and large, it's not mainstream and it's not most people. And I think you just have to to, to bear it and, and move on with it. That's, I think, where the three of you actually have an enormous advantage. Um, Lorraine, have you seen much personal abuse? Um, online, like a certain amount, not not an awful lot, but definitely a certain amount. Um, so if if I put out a post or whatever, um, you know, for, by and large, most people will like it. But there's always some people that make, um, you know, a nasty or crude or abusive um, response underneath. Um, and I've always found it interesting, like these people don't know me from Adam. They've never met me. They don't know anything about me. And yet they're prepared to put this kind of... Um, uh, these comments online. Um, so um, I just have a very simple rule. Um, if people want to disagree with me, that's absolutely fine and they're entitled to do it and that comment will say, if people want to be abusive or, um, you know, um, like use foul language and so on, I just block them and delete the comment. And it's as simple as that. I don't mind people disagreeing with me and that's fine. Uh, debate is good, it's healthy. But if people want to be abusive, I just block them. Grace, I remember interviewing a, a young man who was came in at the two, two, 2011 uh, intake into the door. Um, and he was, I think it was about maybe five months later, he was actually in shock at the amount of abuse he was getting both in the flesh and online from people. He's gone now, interestingly. Um, and I'm wondering, how you are you seeing any of that or have you had to deal with any of it? Yeah, so similarly to my colleagues here, um, like I, I'm, I don't mind anyone question marking me, even if they're very angry about my politics, and and that's fine. I guess most recently when I I was in your your paper, and uh, I I get, for people who can't see me, I am very tall. I have an undercut and eyebrow piercing, and as a young gay woman, um, that is what I get abused for. It is not the first time. So when in the repeal campaign, a photo was taken of me covering up some graphic images and the abuse underneath was about my gender, what I, but in, 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 a, in a horrible uh, kind of trying evocative way, not in a question marking way. And similarly, I got that um, under under the piece recently in the Irish Times. Um, is it the piercing that attracted no, attention? No, okay, that's not, maybe that's not, but I yeah. just, so I guess, I guess I look, I, I look a little bit different than than uh, maybe. Well, what is a typical woman? I think that's what's beautiful about us. I think that we are all uh, different and unique. And I'm very proud that I am able to say this is what women can look like. Um, and I didn't notice your undercut until you mentioned it. Did actually. you not? No, I did not. That's because there's no time in the campaign to get it cut you short. Need, you, need, you need a little attention. My mum hates it. So. <laughs> but but um, for me, look, that is, you know, the abuse is not nice, but it is nothing compared to what some people are suffering out there. And um, uh, uh, something that's been very, very powerful in this campaign for me is younger girls asking me what I'm doing and when I'm able to tell them and, and I hope that they can see that they can they can do it too. Um, and I have some wonderful women that I look up to um, in my Sinn Féin team, both in Bray and my senator, of course, um, who who are, are fabulous um, women. So, Lorraine, you were saying that... that um People do comment on your looks. Oh, they do, yeah. Unfortunately, they do, yeah. People often say to me on the door that I look nothing like my picture on the leaflet or on the poster, which is really upsetting because... Uh, and are they doing this in a kind of a, an, an, an appraising way, as in, good Lord, I thought you were a blonde bombshell. <laughs> uh, no, they just they just remark that, Jakers, you not, look nothing like your photo. And I'm like, OK, here now, right? I've literally in this picture, I've just stepped out of the salon. I've had a blow dry. I'm looking my best. 
I've just been walking around for the last six hours in the wind and rain. Of course, I don't look like my photograph. Uh, it's come up loads, actually. People regularly say it. And then, of course, I wear glasses as well. And I don't have the glasses on in the poster. Oh, that's terrible. But it did happen uh, last weekend where someone said to me, uh, you look nothing like your photo. And I said, would you ever go off and have a bit of manners? Um, because I just, you know, I didn't care if I lost the vote. I'm just sick of hearing it at this point. It's very annoying. <laughs> Grace, are you getting some of those? Yeah, yeah, I am. Uh, so th- th- that thing of you don't look like your poster, you look older in your poster, you look younger in your poster. And a couple of people, you should have photoshopped your poster, which uh, I don't, I, you know, so, I'm, and I think they, they fixed my hair a little bit because it was sticking up. But other than that, but uh, I'm they trying to... your hair? In the poster, yeah. Other than that, I didn't. And I'm not wearing makeup because I don't wear makeup in day-to-day life. And I am trying to live my words as best I can that the best I can offer is my authentic self and so that's what I look like um, but you know and, and lots of people you look great you look great and I wonder do my male colleagues get that now maybe they do or you look handsome and that's okay but it's definitely something to be reflected on because it doesn't matter what, what you look like really does it it's what's in your heart I'm sure Olivia the males, the males don't get that Males certainly don't get it. Do by golly, every day, every hour, morning, noon and night, uh, the discussion of the poster, your canvas card. They hold up the canvas card beside your face yeah. and they do an on-the-spot analysis. I've had that, yeah. Weather. And it's just like Lorraine said, you could be canvassing, you're worn out, you're going full tilt all day and they're wondering, you know, uh, do you look older, younger? Why don't you look like you do in the in the canvas card and you're there, you know, exhausted. It is absolutely at the centre of the campaign, along with the real ordinary day to day issues. But it's certainly a big feature of the conversation and the poster and the image and the whole lot. And you get it every single day. And it's also evident that many people have had, you know, family discussions around the table on the canvas card or the poster because they tell you. Good Lord. Do you you ever come close to saying, would you ever... I take I take it all as part and parcel of it. You know, isn't that isn't that the whole engagement of it? But I have a friend who worked in politics for it's years. The whole female engagement of it. Yeah, I would say, and, Olivia. but there's no there's there's no avoiding that. It's part. I don't think people are generally malicious or anything about it. I think it is just that the natural course of conversation uh, for them. But they don't do it to men. I have been around the country with the most terrible men who look <laughs> nothing like their posters. <laughs> And I don't ever recall anybody saying you don't look a bit like your poster. They, they might say it's younger look who you're getting because that's what people say when they're being nice. But they don't ever say you are a dreadful looking slob. It's tough out there in the doors. It is. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything, Lorraine, that you would like to change about the way the council does its business? Have you an agenda for day one as to how it runs its business and that would make life easier for people, say with families or with a second job? Um, a second job. I say that advisedly because it would be a second job. Um, well, I think the fact that the councils are moving in a direction where they're holding their meetings in the evening um, is a really welcome move because it it facilitates people with families or people who are working full time. So I would definitely try to encourage that that we you know that more and more councils move to kind of early evening meetings, 5pm and so on, to facilitate people who are working. In terms of the how the council conducts its business, haven't got in there yet, so I <laughs> need to, to see how it goes. But I do know that an awful lot of time is spent in the councils debating motions that have absolutely no relevance or impact on the local community. And I just think that that is such a waste of people's time. We really need to just get focused and focused on the local issues and start doing the business. And I just, you know, it it, it must be it mu- like I think that's something that could potentially frustrate me is 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 when obscure d- motions are being discussed uh, in Dunleary that have absolutely nothing to do and uh, with the local area when so much needs to be tackled locally. Now, Olivia, is there something you want to do on day one? I Apart think from starting as a minister or something. <laughs> well, not that, not that. Lots of issues in uh, Dunleary, Rathdown County Council. I think engagement is really important and maybe that's a certain theme that has come throughout the whole campaign. People want to be listened to more, heard more. But how would you, how would you, how would that manifest itself in the chamber, you know, within the, the building? Uh, well, I think, is there I, some way, I, I think the change? council itself looking outward and engaging more, like two of the huge big issues that the new planning regulator for Ireland has highlighted in the last three weeks 
is that the big area of responsibility of councillors is the development of the county development plan and within that local area plans. They determine the land usage, the shape of infrastructure, how infrastructure is, is built and to what purpose. And on many doors that I've canvassed in the last three months, people are not aware that that's where the decision making and the power is and what that development plan, even the draft plan may look like. And I think we need to reach out to people. That is... That is the day-to-day living of their environment, their buses, their cycle paths, their housing, their parks. That's real for them. And I, th- I think we need to reach out more in that regard as a council, if I am elected. And just like Lorraine, I'm not there yet. Mm. Well, Grace, we started with you sort of wanting to bring more young people in and get them engaged and everything. And that's how we finished. And my goodness, I can't think of anything more positive. So <laughs> thank you so much for coming into the Women's Podcast, Olivia, Lorraine and Grace. And that's it for today. Thanks to all my guests today, my brave guests, Kirin Debouche, Grace McManus, Olivia Buckley and Lorraine Hall. And good luck to all of them. Remember, you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. We are on Spotify, Acast and all good podcast apps. Remember, you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to get in touch, we are on Twitter and Facebook at IT Women's Podcast or email us on thewomenspodcast at irishtimes.com. The Women's Podcast is produced by Roisin Ingle and Jennifer Ryan with JJ Vernon on sound. Until next time, thanks for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 